We, uh, we've been looking at uh, the seven churches as we make our way through chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. Those of you who have been looking forward to the, uh, to the really cool imagery and all the fun stuff that, that, that happens and what, what order things happen and all that, we're getting there. That, that all really starts in chapter 4. But all of that stuff, remember that all of that stuff from chapter 4 through 22 was written, was sent to these seven churches. So before we can understand the impact of the message, we, we have to see the letters to the churches and why they were written. And, and, and the, the, there's great, there, there's really some incredible things in these seven letters in chapters two and three. So um, we're, we're not gonna rush through them, but we also are not going to linger too long because I know we want to get to uh, chapters 4 through 22, and, and we will do that. The seven churches um, <clears throat> are in modern-day Turkey, and they kind of form, not, not exactly, but, but they kind of form a circle. The letters are written to those churches, if we say they are in a circle. The letters are written to those churches in a clockwise uh, direction. In other words, it starts at Ephesus and then it moves to whatever the next one is and then it moves to the next one and the next one on like that. Okay? Last time we looked at the first two church. Uh, you, you looked at Ephesus one week when I wasn't here. Last week we looked at Smyrna and Pergamum. If if we follow this map that, that you're just envisioning here, pretending there's a map here, if we follow the map at Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum is at the top. Now tonight we're going to start the journey back down to the south. And these, these cities are joined together by a Roman road. Um, it's... You, you, many of you grew up hearing the Roman road as a gospel presentation. Um, there was not just a Roman road, there were many Roman roads. You remember the old saying, all roads lead to Rome. Why? Because Rome built all the roads with that purpose in mind. And they did indeed build these, this road that, that went kind of, kind of like in this little circle. It looks more like a crescent, really. Um, but the, the purpose was to, uh, to move uh, people and goods throughout that region that we would now call Turkey. Um, and, and so by addressing those seven churches, the idea is that they're addressing that whole region. So, so all of that all of that part of the world would be would receive these messages. We've noticed that there are there are similarities in all of the letters. All seven letters follow the same basic format. And that format looks like this. All seven letters start with who's it written to? It says to the angel at so and so. And remember angel is not a heavenly being. In this case, it's not a heavenly being with wings and white robe. It's the, it's the pastor. The word angel means messenger. So he's saying 
give this message to the messenger so then he will give it to the rest of the people in the church. So there's the who. Then in every case, there is an image, uh, a piece of the image that we saw in chapter 1. Chapter 1 is, a, is an incredible chapter that describes the glory of Jesus Christ. And in that description, there are all these really cool images that come together. Each letter pulls out a little piece of that image as it introduces another part of who Christ is. And then there is what I call a commendation. It says, uh, you've done these things well. And you know, when he says, you've done these things well, you're ready for the other shoe to drop. He says, but this I hold against you. And that's what I, I changed. The uh, poor Robert got it all written down and then I changed the outline. I had warning here and I've changed it to instruction because there is a warning, but the warning follows an instruction. He, he says in the commendation, you've done these things well, but this I have against you. You've done these things wrong. So here's what to do about it. Wake up or repent or you know, whatever. He tells them what to do. And then he says, if you don't, this bad thing will happen. So there is a warning, but I think the more important part of that element is the instruction. Here's what I want you to do. Okay? And then there is a promise. Those of you who remain faithful will receive something. And then he ends each letter by saying, let him who has an ear to hear, let him hear the Spirit speaking to the churches. There are a few exceptions as we go through, but this is, the, this is basically the, the form that's used on all of these letters. So we've looked at uh, Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamum, and so let's start that southward journey now, and we come to the church in Thyatira. Um, on each table, I have left for you a, an outline of these churches with just a little... Um, a little, a very short description. This one is uh, what we've called the liberal church. Um, and that's, uh, the, the reason we chose liberal is because it starts with L and that fits the, the um, what's the word there where you use all the same letter? Alliteration, alliteration, somebody got it, yeah. Baptist preacher can't think of alliteration. That's scary. Um, but liberal is probably not the best example. It just keeps the alliteration. The problem here is, I would say tolerance. Tolerance might be a better word. It's a, they have allowed for a sinful uh, influence to remain and to influence impact the church. Right. So let's look at Thyatira. And to the angel of the church at Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Um, <clears throat> 
just a little bit about Thyatira. We, we don't hear about uh, Thyatira anywhere else in Scripture except when we meet Lydia in the book of Acts. We find out that she makes purple cloth, and she was from Thyatira. Now, the only reason that I even bring that up is because the only other reference we have to Thyatira in Scripture shows us something about the town, and that is that it was a working person's town. She made cloth of purple. There were also people there who uh, worked with metals, and there were carpenters, and uh, there, this was, this was kind of like, this was a, a place where everybody had a job and everybody worked hard to, to create stuff and to, to make things. The reason that's important is twofold. One, this is the smallest town in this whole circle. You might say it's the least significant town in all the, of the seven. And yet, the letter to Thyatira is longer than any other letter. It's a small town. It's not, it's not the big metropolis city where everything's happening. In this small town, the, each trade had its own guild, or we today, we might use the word union. So each trade had its own union. All right. The town was primarily built for the purpose of celebrating the god Apollos, who was the, the god over guilds. We would say the god over unions, the working man's god. All right. He called, or the people called him, the son of God. Now, look again at the verse we just read. To the angel of the church at Thyatira write, these are the words of who? The Son of God. You see, Jesus is saying, that's my title, not his. I'm the Son of God, not Apollos. you worshiping the false God over there. I'm the real Son of God. And... He pulls as that image, remember he pulls a piece of the image from chapter 1. He pulls in this case the image of the eyes like a flame of fire that they can see, they can see the truth. They can see straight through all of our masks and all of our uh, facades and they can see straight into the real person. In this case, into the real church whose feet are like burnished bronze, I think, uh, uh, there's a, there's a lot there. Part of it is that Thyatira would be very familiar with burnished bronze. That's what they did. That's a big part of what their industry was metal work. But I also think that uh, this pulls on uh, some Old Testament imagery and the, the feet of bronze would, would mean that they were strong and heavy. And so when he comes in judgment to stamp out those who would oppose him, he can do so with great, with great strength. Okay. So, verse 19 then, I know your works, 
your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. The latter works exceed the first. You would look at this church if you were to graph their service to God and their service to one another. The graph would be a climbing one. The latter works exceed the first. In other words, I know that over time you've been growing in your service. I know that, that, that you're the real deal. This is, by the way, Thyatira is the mirror image of Ephesus in the letters. You remember Ephesus, he says, you used to serve me, you used to love me, and now you've fallen. Look how far you've fallen. It's the exact opposite with Thyatira. You started off good, yeah, but then you kept growing and you're still good in your service to, to me. Your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance. But verse 20 leads us to the instruction, or we might say the warning. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. All right, we've got a lot to play with here. Let's start with Jezebel. What do you know about the name Jezebel? What comes to mind when you hear Jezebel? An immoral woman, absolutely. And it's based on the time we met Jezebel in the Old Testament. She was the wife of the most evil king that Israel ever had, right? The worst king, the, the king that, that pulled the people away from God more than any other king, this was his wife. And by the way, that king and Jezebel were so bad that they were the final uh, straw, the last straw, if you will. They were the ones who put everything into motion, and God finally said, okay, I'm tired of jacking with you people. So here comes Babylon. Sorry, too bad, too late. Was that Assyria? That'd be Assyria, the northern tribe. Here comes Assyria. But the point is that they were so bad, they were the last straw, and the enemy was allowed then to come in in judgment. Okay? That's Jezebel. Jezebel is the one. You remember um, Elijah? And the prophets of Baal, right? The, he says, let's find out whose who's God is real. Uh, y'all set up a little altar over there, and I'll set one up over here. And uh, y'all pray to your God, and I'll pray to mine. Whoever sends fire down, he'll be the real one. And they get over here, and they got to hollering and screaming and dancing and cutting themselves and doing all kinds of hoopla and uh, nothing. Nothing. And now it's Elijah's turn. And Elijah says, you know what, just to, make this, just to make this more interesting, pour a bunch of water on mine. Just douse it. Just baptize that puppy. Get it good and wet. And the water was running in a whole trail around the thing. And he prayed. He didn't, he didn't have to jump and dance and holler and scream and yell and cut himself and all that stuff. He prayed. And the fire came down from heaven and tore up the whole thing. Right? Now, 
why did those prophets have the power to, or the authority to stand against Elijah? Because Jezebel gave them that authority. All right? Jezebel, the wife of the one who should have led God's people in God's way wound up leading God's people away from God to Baal, to the false idols, to the false gods. Now, fast forward to this little city of Thyatira. Remember I told you that it's a working town, them all, everybody's got their own little union. Well, what happens is that all of these little unions have festival days. And they have those festival days in the temple that was built for Apollos. Now, if you were to say, I don't want to go to the temple of Apollos because I don't worship Apollos, and when y'all go in there, you do nasty things, and you do nasty things that I don't do, so I don't want, I won't go to the temple of Apollos. That, that all sounds great until you realize that you're a part of the union. And if your union holds their festival day in there and you don't go, that makes the union look bad in the eyes of Apollos. Remember, they think this is a real, a real god. You're going to make Apollos mad if you don't show up on your union's festival day. So in order to protect the union, the union kicks you out. Since you won't come to the festival day, you're gonna make us look bad, we're gonna kick you out, you're no longer a part of the union. Guess who can't do any business in Thyatira unless they're part of a union? When Christians get kicked out of the guilds, the unions, they no longer have a career. They no longer can make a living. So the people in Thyatira are faced with this question. Will you be faithful to Christ or will you have a job? It is in that context that he speaks of this Jezebel, someone in the church at Thyatira is telling the people in the church, y'all, it's okay for us to go be a part of the unions in Apollos' church. It's okay, we have to, to keep our jobs. There's tremendous pressure, and when there is tremendous pressure, there is often Tremendous compromise. And somebody whose name is not really Jezebel, but somebody who is doing the same kind of thing that Jezebel did, somebody is telling the folks in the church to come on over here, come to the easy, easy side, and let's do the things that the unions are doing. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. There's a play on words there. 
one, there is true sexual immorality because that's part of how they worshiped Apollos. I told you they were doing nasty things. But there's also a spiritual meaning. There's a reference. There's kind of a, 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 I'll, I'll say it's a reference to spiritual adultery. You're supposed to be faithful to God, but now you jump the fence. You're running around on God with some other little G, God, as spiritual adultery. Um, so 22, behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. Now that doesn't, you know, obviously he's talking about the spiritual adultery. So he's not saying those who commit adultery by getting in bed with her. But those who commit the adultery that she's leading you to, the spiritual adultery that she's leading you to commit, all y'all, he says, all y'all finna get sick. It's all going to be bad for you. There's going to be a great tribulation. This is not the seven-year period of tribulation. This means it's going to be a bad time for you if you do that. Unless you repent. 23, and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Some of you folks in Thyatira have, been, have stayed faithful. Probably what this lady did, whoever she was, she probably presented it by saying, you know, this, it's nice that you follow God. That, that's kind of a surface thing. But let me teach you the deeper things. Let's get deep. And the deeper things are that it's okay for us to go and be a part of this. It's okay for us to be a part of community. We have to get along. And the reason that I, I want to stress that is that is the message we hear today as well. Let me teach you the deeper things of tolerance. Now, tolerance is a good thing until it requires ungodly compromise. Does that make sense? I can get along with people who are different from me. But the minute I'm required to compromise my godly beliefs and behavior in order to demonstrate my tolerance, then it has become a problem. Okay? All right. So he says, but the rest of you, you don't fall for the deep things because you know that comes from Satan. 25, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Imagine the word that, that, comes, that comes to this little bitty town. It's a small town. And he says, you guys, those of you who are faithful, you guys are going to rule nations. 
That's why he doesn't really talk about ruling nations in any of the other letters, because they're all big cities. But here he says, you guys remain faithful and you're going you're to have authority over nations. Verse 27, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as with earthen pots are broken uh, in pieces. Even as I myself has received authority from the father, I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, uh, you, we're going we're to rule and reign with tremendous power and authority. I love, he says, we're going to give to you the morning star. Uh, when uh, in that day, they would wake up in that part of the, the, the area, that part of the world, and, and in that day, they'd wake up and see usually Venus, a bright star first they'd see it still shining first thing in the morning it was the morning star and they would refer to the morning star as a uh, as a source of power a source of authority but i think even more than using the phrase that they're familiar with i think he's saying something deeper because later on in revelation jesus himself is referred to as the bright morning star and I think what he's saying is you stay faithful to me and you'll have me forever you and I will be together forever right. questions comments discussion about Thyatira before we move on about 30 miles south to Sardis all right here we go Let's go to what we call the lifeless church. To the angel of the church at Sardis, right? The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Remember again, our image from chapter one. Seven spirits, seven is the, the number of perfection. Seven spirits just means the Holy Spirit of God. The seven stars, Revelation itself uh, interpreted that for us so we wouldn't miss it. The seven stars are those um, uh, pastors of the seven churches. And so the seven stars are the seven, represent the seven congregations. It means the, the, the words of him who has authority and power over the church. Says this, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. But you're dead. He kind of changes the form in this one. Because usually he says, I've seen these good things, but I have this against you and moves to instruction. In this case, he doesn't have much time for commendation at all. He says, I've seen your works, so what? You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. There's almost no commendation at all. Even, the, even when he says, I see your works, it I think that's actually part of the instruction or the warning because he says, I see what you do and that, that what you do gives you the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You ever seen a dead church? You ever been a part of a dead church? Dead churches are no, no fun to be around, no fun to be a part of. Not, not helpful to the community, not helpful to themselves. 
But, and he says, you have a reputation. People say, oh, wow, there's some cool stuff going on at that church. But remember, he is the one who holds the stars in his hands. He's the, he's the one who has the power and authority over the churches. He's also the one with, that, with those fiery eyes. And he, he looks inside and he says, I know it looks like you're alive, but you're dead. There's nothing inside anymore. And so he says in verse 2, he tells them what to do. Instruction. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. He says somebody need to pull out them paddles and put that little stuff on there. <laughs> you just got one, one breath left and somebody need to shock you back up. Wake you up. He says, wake up, strengthen what little remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So even though he says, I saw your works, now he says, but they're not complete. So I suggest that in this one, he breaks the form and there is no commendation. There's nothing good. Remember then, what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. How does a thief come? Well, let's do this. Has, anybody, has anybody's house been broken into? One? Two? I remember that. Two houses? When they, when, they, when they broke into your house, did they text you or call you and say, hey, I'm on my way, I'm going to be over there in about 20 minutes? How does a thief come? A thief comes secretly. A thief comes quietly, by surprise. People, I, in my opinion, people have misinterpreted what it means that he comes like a thief in the night. I think they misinterpret that all different ways. It just makes sense to me. The way a thief comes is quietly, unannounced, secretly. And that's how Jesus is going to come to this church. He says, I'm warning you now. Don't expect another warning. How many times you raised your kids say, don't make me tell you again? Huh? I think that's what he's saying. I'm telling you now. I'm not going to tell you again. I'm telling you now. The next thing that's going to happen, I'm going to show up and you and me going to, going to go around. So get it right now. And he says he's going to come as a thief. Now, Sardis is a cool place because it was built as a, it was built as a military, not a fort, but a, the, the purpose of it was, was military because it was, thank you, what's the word? Citadel. Citadel, thank you, thank you. Because remember this imaginary map that we have over here? Um, <clears throat> the last town we looked at, Thyatira, was up here. Remember, Thyatira is small, but it's got all the, all the, the, the industries and things, okay? Now, there's a road that leads around. Here's Sardis is down here. In order for an enemy to get to Thyatira, they would have to go through Sardis. So they built Sardis not as a, as a meaningful city on its own, but as a citadel to protect the road that led to Thyatira. 
Okay? So its, it's whole purpose is protection. Now, they had this big wall at one time, and it was hard, it was, it was, no enemy could penetrate it. So what the enemy did one time is they sat quietly, Cyrus and his people, they sat quietly and watched the wall. And one time this dude was at the top of the wall and he's looking over and his hat falls off. And they keep watching because they want to see how's this dude going to get his hat. And they watch him and sure enough, there's a little door that's hidden over here at the bottom of the wall. And he comes out that door, he gets his hat, he goes back in the door, and before too long, he's back at the top of the wall. Now, they have just figured out there's a weakness in the wall. And the enemy was able to come through that door and take down Sardis from the inside out. This is what's on their mind. This is their history, their heritage. What happened when they were overrun because of the weakness in the wall is a part of their DNA, just like Westfest is a part of who we are in this community. It's just part of their story. So when he says either wake up and repent or I'm going to come like a thief, they're picturing he's going to sneak in just like those people snuck in on our, on our folks, fathers or grandfathers or whoever it would have been. Okay? All right. Oh, my goodness, where are we? Uh, thank you. Remember then what you've received. Keep it and repent. If you'll not wake, I'll come like a thief. The end of three, you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Number four, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. You still have a few folks there who have remained faithful. Um, he refers to them as those, uh, those names, in other words, specific individuals. The church at large is dead, but even in a dead church, you can have a few believers who are still faithful. And uh, he says, these folks have not soiled their garments. And I got, I got to thinking about how do you soil your garments? How, how, do you, how do you get your pants dirty? Well, when you rub up against dirt. You, you, what are you looking at? When, when you get in the dirt, that's how, that's how you get your clothes dirty. Right? And so he says they have not soiled their garments. In other words, they have remained separate from the, the life around them. They, they have not compromised. They've remained faithful. So their clothes are not dirty. Matter of fact, he says, they will walk with me in white. When a military leader would go off to war, if they were victorious, if they won the battle, they would come back into town and there'd be a, basically a parade. There'd be a great celebration. As they would come in, they were honored by a group of people wearing white, celebrating, you know, waving their arms, maybe dancing if they were Methodists. 
And so what he's saying is, if those of you who are remaining faithful, we are going to win this thing. I am coming back as the victor and you will get to walk with me in your robes of white. You'll be worthy of that. Verse 5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. All right. Read what it says. Don't assume what it don't, don't assume that it's implying something else. So many people read that and they say, okay, that means that some people can have their names blotted out of the book of life. No. Look at what it says. It's a promise. I will not blot your name out of the book of life. It's a promise. When your name is in the book, it's in the book. Now, they know something that you don't know. Christianity was originally a sect, if you will. It was a smaller portion of Judaism. Christians, the, 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 the group that believed in Christ, that believed in Jesus, let me put it that way, still worshipped with the Jews. They would still go to synagogue. At first, that was okay. But then these people in this group called The Way, they started talking about resurrection. And the, the current Jewish leaders didn't like that too much. That kind of went against their grain, against their thinking. But even worse than that, this, the, the people of this little sect started saying that Messiah had already come. And that would not hold that would, that would not be accepted. And so what would happen was um, there was a book in most communities. The synagogue had a book. The reason for the book was this. In the area of, in the, in the, the, the part of the world where Rome ruled, everyone was required to say Caesar is Lord. Everyone that is except the Jews. They were exempted. If you were a member of a local synagogue, your name had to be on a register. And your name on that register meant that the Roman government exempted you from saying Caesar is Lord. Now, if you're a part of this new sect, this this group called The Way, if you're a Christian, you eventually tick off the synagogue so bad, they kick you out of the synagogue and they take your name off the list. Which means now, you're under Roman rule and you have to say Caesar is Lord. Jesus is saying to people whose name has been removed from the church rolls, they've been kicked out of the synagogue. He's saying to those people, what really matters is you and I. And when you and I are right, your name will never be blotted out of my book. All right. So it's a powerful, powerful promise. 
that we might overlook had we read through too quickly. And the promise continues, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches.